What can you do when hate lives next door? I'm Jeremy Jew, and you're listening to the Not In Our Town podcast. Stories of courageous people and communities standing up to hate. We have to have mandatory reporting of hate crimes. We cannot have a system where we don't have a requirement that local, state, tribal, and federal have to report. Today, we examine how the tragic killing of Khaled Jabara, a young man who was murdered by his next-door neighbor in a hate crime, prompted a call for vital changes in hate crime law and reporting. Khaled's mother Haifa, his brother Rami, and Rami's wife Jenna recall the neighbor's initial harassment and how they tried to just ignore him. There were other minorities in the neighborhood. I mean, he, he would use aggressive words against them, but he really hyper-focused on my family and my mom and my brother. He started harassing, harassing, and say dirty words, you dirty Arabs, get out of here. You dirty Lebanese, get out of here. You don't belong here. He's like saying all this stuff and it's really intense. And I'd be like, I don't know, it's kind of like scary and weird. And Rami'd be like, no, no, it's just, it's just words. Like, don't worry about him. What's he gonna do? He can't do anything. And then it just got worse. The family had a catering business and he would harass their clients. They'd have friends over and he would yell racist things at them. It got to the point where the Jabaras decided to take legal action and file a protective order against him. A protective order is a document issued by a civil court that orders the person who is abusing, harassing, or stalking another to stop doing so or be punished by the court. But the neighbor didn't stop, and the police didn't stop him. Here's Victoria, Holland's older sister. We did all the right things that Oklahoma laws allow. We put so much trust in the authorities because they were like, just file this paperwork and file that paperwork. We had to learn the hard way that protective orders don't work when the person lives next door to you. And then the neighbor turned to violence. Haifa remembers that horrific day. One day I was walking in the street, just jogging. And then he came and hit me with his car. He ran me over. And I was bleeding in the middle of the street. I had broken ribs, broken shoulder, broken leg, everything. And then the police came and Later, we discovered it was him. You know, after he hit, he ran over our mom, we were like almost relieved that she was alive and he would be held in custody until he faced that trial. We were like, thank God, he's not going to do any more harm. At least that's what they thought. Surely this man was finished harassing their family. And then the system messed up again. They switched judges, and there you go, rubber stamp. He bonded out. It's like nobody understood or could connect the dots that this was the same man that this lady had a protective order against. We were all shocked. And then uh, after eight months, he came and killed my son in front of my door.
At 34 years old, Khalid Jabara had his whole life ahead of him. Charming and well-liked by those who knew him, he had so much potential. Here's Rami. He was very creative. Literally, like, 95% of our family jokes, like, derived from him. He was just a, he could be like a one-man show whenever he wanted to, and everybody was drawn to him. Being the oldest, Victoria had a slightly different relationship to Holland. He was my little brother, because I was the oldest. So he was my annoying little brother who wanted to tag along everywhere. But of course, you know, all my friends loved him. My girlfriends loved him. My guy friends loved him. My gay friends wanted to date him. He just had such a big heart. Um, and no one can compare. And for Haifa, Khaled's heart and the way he used it made her so proud. My husband kept going to hospitals for the last 10 years. So Khaled stay with him at night. I go in daytime. We take turns. So he sleep in the hospital at night. And I, I go in daytime. He helped me. He's very compassionate for elderly people. Well, he was sensitive too. He's a sensitive person. But very loving and kind, gentle soul. In the same way that Khaled helped take care of his family, in his final moments, he was trying to protect them. Before he was shot and killed, he called the police. They came out and spoke with the neighbor. Police knew who he was. They knew the story. They knew he ran over my mom. There wasn't any missed. There wasn't like a new police officer. And they still said, even though Khaled said he's got a gun, they still said, oh, well, there's nothing we can do because he didn't open the door. And then they left, and within like 8 minutes and 12 seconds, Khalid was dead. Khalid was on the phone warning his mother not to come home when the neighbor came back to the Jabara's house and shot and killed him. I received um, an email from a colleague about an Arab-American that was killed in a hate crime. That's Maya Berry. She works for the Arab American Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan national leadership organization that focuses on the issues and interests of Arab Americans nationwide. We contacted colleagues at the Department of Justice, bringing to their attention that we believe this was a bias motivated killing. Um, and it was devastating. It made national and international news. As people learned about Holland's murder, they reached out especially on, on social media. That's Victoria again. Where they'd see an interview and they'd say, we're sorry, this is not Tulsa. This is not who we are. We, we welcome you. You know, we're so happy you came to America. And that meant a lot to the Jabaras. So did the cards, the vigils, and just the number of people who showed up to express their support and condolences. I have like maybe 500 cards. Half of them from people we don't know. They had like a, an interfaith vigil. And then, I mean, at the funeral too, I mean, there were so many people that came out. There wasn't enough room for, I mean, even in the ov overflow. And yet, even with all the coverage and notoriety the case received, when Maya Berry and her team at the Arab American Institute were putting together a report, a couple years later, 
that looked at every single state in the country and evaluated their response to hate crimes, they discovered that Holland's case had not been reported, even though the neighbor had been charged and eventually convicted of a hate crime. We were shocked to learn that it wasn't there. And once we came to that discovery, it was like, wait, what other ones are possibly not there? And that's when we also discovered that Heather Hires, again, a case that made international news, was not reported in the federal data. Heather Heyer was the young woman that was killed during white supremacist rallies in Charlottesville in 2017. She was murdered on the same day as Holland, August 12th, just one year later. To help me get a better understanding of how both of these highly publicized cases could still remain uncounted in the official data, I decided to give my colleague a call. Hi, Patrice. How are you? Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for taking the time. So as you know, we're talking about the Jabara Hire No Hate. Patrice O'Neill is the founder and executive director of Not In Our Town. She's been working with individuals and communities dealing with and responding to hate for over 20 years. She understands the ins and outs of the hate crime report. Every year, local law enforcement is given a data sheet and the FBI asks, how many hate crimes have you had in your district, in your city, in your agency? And that number in 2019, the last year we have data for, was somewhere around 8,000. It's 7,314 to be exact. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the reality is that there are over an average of 250,000 every year. What Patrice is referring to here is the National Crime Victimization Survey, which measures self-reported criminal victimization by employing detailed questionnaires that are widely considered the most accurate measure of U.S. crime available. What you end up with is these two departments reporting two very different numbers, and that difference is what we call the hate crime reporting gap. When you take this gap and do the math, less than 3% of hate crimes are officially counted in the FBI report. Here's Maya from the Arab American Institute again. We have states in our country that report year after year zero hate crimes. Now, it's possible in those jurisdictions that a hate crime didn't occur, but it's much more likely that one did, and once again, it's going unreported. Looking at the 2019 hate crime statistics report of the nearly 16,000 law enforcement agencies that voluntarily participated Less than 2,200 reported any hate crime incidents. That means less than 14% reported any incidents of hate in their jurisdiction. The key word here is voluntary. Here's Patrice to explain. There's no requirement that these crimes be reported or investigated. So if they're not trained to report hate crimes, if they don't have the, the either will or skill to, to investigate and report hate crimes, they often end up reporting zero. And there is so much pain and trauma in that gap. There is so much left unaddressed. We don't know all the people that are harmed and, and can't see how we can act to solve it. And that creates a cycle. Sadly, Holland's murder is a case in point, as Jenna, his sister-in-law, points out. Clearly, there's a serious you know, deficit in the training of law enforcement when it comes to hate and bias motivated crimes, right? Like we did call the police. We thought that they were actually going to help. 
it's clearly documented the quotes that he used that were derogatory and inflammatory against this family. So, like, what resources could the police have provided to us? The system failed to protect the Jabara family, but the perpetrator was brought to justice. But what about prevention? What could have been done and how might a more active community prevent future hate crimes? Maya Berry at the Arab American Institute explains that seeing the problem clearly and better hate crime reporting is a place to start. People need to understand we cannot adequately address the increase in, in hate in our country and the violence. There's, it's gotten increasingly violent. It's just not an increase in numbers. It's more violence that we're seeing. Um, from the attacks in, in, in Pittsburgh to the attacks in Charlottesville to the individual cases we're seeing and to the increase we're seeing now targeting Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. There is, it is a cycle, regrettably, and we cannot address it until we have the necessary data so our government can formulate an appropriate response. And people can formulate an appropriate response to how they respond in their local communities. And that does mean that I have to be able to know how many hate crimes have occurred in my area. When we released our report and wanted to highlight the problem of underreporting, we began to talk about trying to potentially have a legislative fix to address this problem. And in the tradition of the Matthew Shepard James Beard Act, it was Perhaps we need, just as that act was so transformative to the way our nation responded to hate crime, perhaps we can create something that would be equally impactful when it came to hate crime data reporting. Um, and uh, we, we published a piece um, in the Washington Post that basically concluded by saying that it's a problem we all acknowledge, let's try to fix it, and perhaps we name it after Khaled Jabara and Heather Heyer. The Jabara Hire No Hate Act mandates better hate crime data collection, funding for hate crime hotlines, as well as a more informed approach to hate crime prevention and sentencing at the federal, state, and local levels. By having Holland's name attached to the bill, Haifa feels they are able to honor her son's memory. Uh, the more we work, we put things in action, I have more relief. Like we're doing something in his honor. And that's helping them heal, which as Victoria shares, the community played a part in that process. The community really surrounded us and really helped us realize that we need to turn our pain into purpose. And one of the ways is education. The man who killed Hala Jabara died in jail six months after beginning his life sentence. And the Jabara Hire No Hate Act was passed by both houses of Congress and signed into law. By sharing Khaled's story, their story, the Jabaras are educating all of us. And as Patrice, who's been doing this kind of work for years, explains, it's imperative that we listen. All of us have a lot to learn from the Jabaras. And they've suffered so much pain and trauma, and yet they are out there in the world speaking about what each of us can do. When we hear something that we know is racist or bigoted or wrong, we need to think about the Jabaras and the kind of courage and what they endured and find our own courage. So if you know anyone who might be experiencing hate-based violence or harassment, find a way to stand up and speak out and ask your neighbors to join you. 
Learn more about the Jabara Hire No Hate Act. Listen to our other podcasts, including a powerful interview with Susan Bro, the mother of Heather Hire, and find out how we can respond together and make our communities safer for everyone at Not In Our Town. That's N-I-O-T dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening. <laughs>